King's kids. Second grade on down, you are dismissed. We've got uh, a substitute teacher today, but they are experienced and they're ready for you. Wait, take me with you. Come on up, Gray. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 with us. We will be going through Genesis chapter 3 today, but uh, we're going to do our scripture reading from Genesis chapter 5. What verse? I mean Romans. Romans chapter 5. Romans 12. So turn to Romans 12. We're going to read a really important reminder from Genesis 3 and Romans 5. Are you confused yet as I am? So your Bible is open to Romans 5. You're, if you're a go-getter, you can you know, have your finger in Genesis 3. We'll be getting there in a minute. Um, but this, is, this scripture reading is also a reminder of how important the overall story is of Genesis, especially the first three chapters. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are laying a blueprint that show us who God is, what He expects from us, and who we are in Adam. So Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Go ahead, son. Romans 5, 12 through 13. 12 through 15. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Amen. So we have in, in Romans, Paul emphasizing we've all died in Adam, but there is a second Adam, and he is Jesus. So bridging the gap. So in Genesis 3... The sermon is about, uh, show me last week's slide, that first slide. What was that first one? Catch me up here. So humans, in Genesis 1 and 2, humans are created by God to work, multiply, and rule in order to spread God's presence over the whole earth. Adam and Eve have God's presence with them. He's teaching them. He's walking with them. He is speaking with them. He's leading them, guiding them, comforting them. Everything they need is with God. He has seen to it. He's made all of creation. He's formed it and he has backfilled it to be a place where they can live in comfort and harmony with him. He didn't make it for them to live in alone. He makes creation to be the temple presence. He makes all of creation one, heaven and earth together. His presence on earth, that is paradise. That is heaven, God's presence with us. So that's, that's what God's wise plan is. How long will we walk in it? How long will they walk in it? Will we live in God's presence every day? Will we work, multiply, and rule? 
over our little garden of life? And will we spread God's presence into all creation? Will we do our part? Yeah, no. Why? Genesis 3 tells us why. Tells us why life is hard. Tells us why there is suffering. Tells me why I am who I don't want to be. We're going to read this in some different movements today. But follow with me in Genesis 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here we have the temptation of independence, the temptation of living life on our own. Adam and Eve have access. Notice she didn't see, say the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. She just said the trees. There are two trees there. There's no distinction, just kind of, are they avoiding both trees? I'm not sure. Why, why are there no specif specific, why? It just seems general, just seems vague. What's going on here? Did Adam not communicate to her well? Is, is she flustered because there's a snake talking? Like, what's going on? There, we don't, remember, we don't need to know all the details. We're capturing the big picture. The big picture is humans can be tempted. Here's the deadly formula for temptation. Doubting God, discounting the goodness of God, misspeaking God's word, and straight up lying. There's doubt. Did God say? There's discounting. The fact that he said you could eat of all the other trees. You're discounting and forgetting the good he has said. Instead of Allowing yourself to focus on the one thing he said not to do. What about the thousands of other good trees to eat from? Shouldn't the good outweigh the bad? We tend to focus on what we don't have, don't we? Instead of rem remembering and dwelling and being content with what we do have. So temptation comes. Misspeaking God's word. Not just Satan misspeaking God and doubting God and discounting what God has said, but the woman doesn't get it straight. God has said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. That's not exactly what he said. And you shall not touch it. That, he didn't say that. And then lying. The serpent says to the woman in verse 4, you will not surely die. I don't think he knew what was going to happen. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. That was the truth. And you will be like God. We're already like God. We've been made in his likeness and image. What? 
What temptation is that? Forgetting who we already are will change who we're supposed to become. And you have to be careful of that. When you forget the goodness of God in your life, you forget what God has already given you and told you, you're going to want something, and just that desire is going to change you, pull you. That's what temptation does. Verse 6. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool, windy part of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Here is our universal decision. And it's a universal decision that all of us make given enough time. We all grow up long enough, you live long enough, you will make the same decision to choose self over God. This is a really important formula that you need to get into your mind. And this is, this is where Paul gets this idea from in Romans 5. Seeing that something is good, first we make contact. It becomes a delight to our eyes. Was it good? Yeah, it was good. Was it a delight to look at? Yeah, it was a delight to look at. But then the next word brings in an evaluation from God's perspective. She coveted it. Ah, what's, ro what's wrong with wanting good things? She's wanting something that God has purposefully placed out of her reach and said no. That tree represents all of us. There's always something in your life that's a no-no. There's always something. It's not a fruit tree. It represents our, our hearts. Because our hearts are going to find something to cling to that we think is going to make us better than we already are, which is a lie. You're already in God's image. And he wants to now mature you and grow you up, not make you into something different, make you into himself. Their eyes are opened and they become full of guilt and shame. Ah. She takes, she eats, and her husband did too. That's a whole nother sermon. It sounds like he watched her. Men, do not stand by idly when it is in your power to do good. He's as much to blame as she is. And they fell together. Um, don't, don't put anything on the fact that she fell first and he fell second. No, they fell together. It says the eyes of the both at the same time were opened. They fell together. 
And what was the first consequence? Guilt and shame over each other. They ruined themselves. God hasn't showed up yet. There are no curses. And they're already feeling the weight of what they have done. Oh, I can identify with that. Can you, can you feel that? That guilt and shame that makes a four-year-old squirm in their pants when they've done wrong, and you didn't see them do wrong, but you know they just can't handle it. It's just eating them up, and they finally come to you, and they finally confess. There's just, there's just something, we think it's special and pure, and we're, we're glad they're tender and they're sensitive, and they confess their sins when they've done something wrong. Like, oh, you're just like Adam, you little punk. And then there are those kids that stone cold you, and they get away with everything. At least they think they do. You never get away with anything. God sees, God knows, God shows up. Be sure, <laughs> your sin will find you out. It'll come. So here's this tree, this temptation. Here's this universal decision. And we fall. Like, oh man, we such a great opportunity here. We have a choice. Well, Choose wisdom. Choose God. Live in His presence. Let God teach you good and bad. Oh, wait. Here's another way to live. We see, we grasp, we take, we break. That's the story of humanity. Not we see God, we thirst for God, we come to God, we're satisfied with God. We see something else, we take something else, we break it. And it breaks us. And we forget. Every time we sin, whether it's public or private, it damages our relationship with other people. Not just our relationship with God. It damages us, and therefore, it's damaging the way we relate to other people. Because even if nobody knows about it, in the back of your mind, you're wondering, well, who else has sinned like I've sinned? If you know yourself, you kind of do know other people. Because in a scary way, we all are very alike in our broken image and our broken likeness. Romans 5, we're all there. And we need a new Adam. Thankfully, God will provide. I heard somebody say an interesting thing about this passage. So, they hear the sound of the Lord and they hide. They're afraid of God. Wouldn't it have been nice if they were afraid of God before they sinned? And then they would have obeyed. So we have set up here uh, two ways we can fear the Lord. Write this down. The wrong fear of God. And this phrase is going to be tweaked and changed all throughout the Bible. The fear of the Lord. The wrong fear of God makes you tremble, fear punishment, and hide, or run, or lie, or make it worse, 
or lie again. And the wrong fear of God makes you tremble, fear punishment, and distance yourself from God. However, what is going to become developed with this idea and this phrase, the fear of God or the fear of the Lord, is the proper fear of the Lord. And the proper fear of God, yes, it should make you tremble. He is a holy, righteous God. Yes, you should fear punishment. Nobody gets away with anything. But then you will obey when you are tempted by sin. A lot of the same emotions are tied to the proper and the wrong kinds of fear. But they lead to different ways of living. If in, Instead of being afraid of God, we will have a proper fear of God. Then we will live in God's presence and sin less. It's not about sinning less and entering into His presence. It's about living in His presence and therefore sinning less it's not our problem i've said this before our problem is not that we love sin too much our problem is we don't love god enough when we love something greater the lesser is easy to turn away from the lesser is obviously lesser because we have someone and a love that is greater than all of our sin marvelous verse 9 but the Lord God those are good moments in the Bible they always come after terrible things but God oh Peter would not be Peter if not for Jesus coming but Jesus came and spoke to Peter Thomas would be forever doubting unless Jesus showed up. Always that, no matter, yeah, no. but God. That, that's an important part of this story. Yes, there's a talking snake and a, and a weird tree and a weird exchange and lies and doubting, but God, he's the focal point of this story. He's the main character, not you, not Adam, not Eve. God, God shows up and he calls to the man and says to him, where are you? God knew. He's not looking for information. He's looking for honesty, repentance. This is a chance for Adam to come clean. And Adam said, oh, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, uh, who told you you were naked? Another good question. God knows what happened. He's giving Adam a chance to come clean. This is a, you know, a mini lesson on how to talk to your kids, right? Like, just be patient. Don't jump ahead. Let this give them a chance to, to talk. Give when your friends do wrong, when you think you know everything and you approach somebody about what has gone sideways, engage in a conversation. Don't start attacking. Give people a chance to express themselves, to tell you what was going on. And Adam blows it. The woman. And so the first words out of humanity's mouth ever since then 
has been so-and-so. Oh, come on, man. Come on. And then he takes it a step further. The woman you gave me. Oh, you need to watch it when you start pointing your finger at God. Uh-oh. Them's fighting words right there. God does not rage quit. God does not rain down fire and brimstone. God does not get angry. God is gracious. He's very slow to anger. He's very kind. He's very patient. God is giving Adam so much grace. Don't miss that. This is a picture of our God. When He comes to you and you've done wrong, when He convicts your heart over the way you've lived your life selfishly, not chosen Him, hidden from Him, misspoken about Him, even lied about Him to yourself, and thought He would never know. When the Holy Spirit comes knocking on your heart, remember this. Don't hide. Be vulnerable. Confess. Open that heart no matter how much it hurts. Admit that you are wrong. That's the step of repentance that Adam is missing here. That we've missed over and over and over again. You can count on God to listen to you and to be patient with you and give you forgiveness. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent. <laughs> the blame game. It's like he's talking to preschoolers, right? The serpent. He deceived me, and I ate. Then God turns his attention to the accuser, the serpent. God doesn't care what he has to say. God doesn't give him a chance to speak. He's condemned to eternal damnation. The Lord God said to the serpent, Well, I want to know about that snake. Where did he come from? How did he get there? How do you know all this? How could... What, how could he take the form of a talking snake? What? All you need to know is there is somebody, an adversary, who is against God's good plan, against God's wisdom, who is going to constantly, in this world, speak lies. And we need to not listen. We have to learn to listen more carefully. God says, because you've done this, verse 14, Cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Dust is a metaphor of mortality. He's a supernatural being, but he's going to have an ending. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, the offspring, shall bruise your head, 
and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for or against your husband, and he shall rule over and against you. But to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So write this down. God in His wisdom pursues sinful humanity. That's good. Adam and Eve blame each other, blame the snake. God curses the snake. I don't have it in your notes, but you might want to add this to the side. Verse 15. God speaks hope immediately. God speaks hope into this situation immediately. When he says to the, to the snake, to the adversary, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Lunchtime. Don't worry, he's not the only one crying on the inside. So God speaks hope in verse 15. He shall bruise the adversary's head. That's a death blow. God is going to clean this mess up. God is going to end this conflict. But the accuser will bruise his heel. There's going to be pain and suffering. Not just on Jesus. There's going to be pain and suffering forever now. Remember, remember the big idea from Genesis 1, 2, and 3 was work, multiply, and rule? Don't miss this. In verses 14 through 19, 16a, write this down, multiplication has been made more painful. Well, that one's out the window. Well, not necessarily. He doesn't say he's ending it. God says, Verse 16, I will multiply your pain and childbearing. It's going to be laborious, to say it lightly. It's harder now. The second half of verse 16, 16b, is one of the most complicated verses in the Bible. Um, Write this down. Ruling nature is corrupted by human dysfunction. Humans have the high task of ruling and reigning on the earth over plants, animals, all of creation. You want to know why we can't get that right? Because we are busy with the dysfunction between each other. We can't rule and reign this creation properly anymore because all we do with other humans is play the blame game. Yes, we're still going to have desires for one another. We still have this weird, creepy desire to be with other humans. 
even though they hurt us and even though we hurt them. And we try to rule and reign over each other. Whatever way you slice and dice these verses, it is not about marriage. It is not about men and women. It is about all humanity is screwed up. And all we ever do is mess each other up non-stop by trying to grasp our own will, our own way, and rule over other people and dominate other people. No matter how much desire we have for them, we always mess it up. That's a problem. Our ruling nature has been corrupted corrupted by human dysfunction and this is a sad commentary on all of humanity don't go here to talk about why you and your wife are having marital problems these are human problems because there are going to be some women who want to rule and reign over their husbands there are going to be some husbands who have a strong natural sexual desire for their wives this is not about that this is not about that. We all fall on this spectrum wildly from one end to the other. Some days, both ends at different times. This, this is not about gender. This is really about something bigger. Human dysfunction. It messes up everything. Even when there are only two humans there's conflict. Oh, I could just be better if I could just go live in a cabin in the woods. You better not go there with yourself. Because you don't even need two humans to have a moral dilemma or a nervous breakdown. All you need is me, myself, and I. Three's a crowd. <laughs> Terrible, isn't it? What is my problem? That should be the question we ask instead of, what is your problem? Please, please, please don't let those words come out of your mouth. That will just cause more chaos. What is your problem? Oh, some deadly words. Make a little note to the side there. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. If you want a better picture of what marriage is supposed to look like, a New Testament picture of what marriage is supposed to look like, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, let me give you a summary of that. Just because we're, we're talking about Adam and Eve, we want to know how to relate to one another. Let me give you a summary of Ephesians 5. Submit to one another. Three verses to the women on submitting to your husbands. And then over five verses to the husbands on how to properly, get this, submit yourselves to her. Here's a perfect marriage. A husband lays down his rights, his emotions, his goals, his dreams, his hobbies, his allowance, his money, his time, his effort. A godly husband lays down everything for his family starting with his wife. Because in that passage it says, like Jesus laid down his life for the church. What did Jesus do for himself? Men. Whatever it took to help people understand who God was. That's where we go for marriage. That's where we go for our identity. 
And there's not a single godly woman on planet Earth who wouldn't want to submit to that. It's about godly people submitting to one another. It's not about dominance. It's not even about gender in Ephesians. It's about Jesus as example for us to lay down our lives for one another. See how, see how you, you interpret Ephesians 5 correctly in the light of Genesis not being about male-female stuff? It's about human stuff. And we can all identify with that. You don't have to be married to appreciate Genesis 3. In fact, Genesis 3 should help you find some dignity in humanity. We're worth it. Humility, humbleness, a life that lays itself down, and that is such a brutal contrast to what just happened in Genesis 3. Multiplication has been made more painful. Ruling of nature, that's kind of out the window. We can't even get along anymore. And verses 17 through 19, work becomes hard and frustrating. God curses the ground. And if you are a female farmer, that doesn't mean you're going to have it any easier. Just because he laid the curse on Adam, it doesn't mean it doesn't affect women. Remember, if this was all about being male and female, then, then female farmers would have an upper hand because it's not going to grow thorns and thistles for them. Only Adam was cursed. Both of these people represent all of us. All of us. I've seen a lot of dads in deep sorrow and grief over the birth of their kids. A kid born with a disability. It's not just women who sorrow in that. Childbirth is scary. There's physical pain. There's emotional pain. It's, it's universal, people. This passage is universal. Work becomes hard and frustrating. Well, I don't... Okay, so I'm to avoid this curse, I'm going to go be a nurse. That way work is not hard or ever frustrating. Right, Gene? Right? right? Is that... Tracy, is nursing just perfect? Because you're not, you, you mean you're not avoiding this curse? Of course you're not. It's not just about the ground. And it's not just about men. The most amazing part of this whole story to me is God didn't strike them down and kill them. Like he should have. Oh wait, did I just say that out loud? It's always easy to talk about judgment for other people. <laughs> because if it was me, <laughs> begging, crying, groveling, right? God has treated me the same way. Main character, God. So what do we see here? We see even though work, multiply, and rule has been corrupted, it is still an expectation for humanity to continue on this God project. God has not given up. Everything has been messed up and corrupted by a human decision, but God reaffirms these three commands. Why is it messed up? What was so wrong about taking from that tree? What was so wrong about it? Because choosing that tree represented something really fundamental that represents us. It represents seeing and taking something that God doesn't want you to have. Either he said no, or you took it out of due time. And you rejected God's presence. 
That's what it represents. This story is about Adam and Eve pushing God's presence away from their life. That's not enough. I want more. Grasping, taking what you think is good, and it always turns out to be bad. Because your perspective is limited and small and human. They lost God's presence. Write this down. They definitely lost God's presence. He's going to kick them out of the garden, but they'd never lose God's care and concern. There will be consequences, but there's no lightning, there's no thunder, there's no harshness with God. Even in His discipline, He is showing grace. That's my God. He's right, but He doesn't lord it over them. They don't become his slaves. Verses 20 through 24, let's read the conclusion of Genesis 3. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us and knowing good and bad. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever... Therefore, the Lord God sent Adam out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. In verse 20, through his call, naming his wife Eve, there are no kids yet, but he names her the mother of all living things, it shows that Adam has acceptance of God's hope. Adam is accepting God's verdict. She's going to bear children. There's going to be pain. It's going to be hard. He accepts that by naming her mother of the living. He doesn't think God is going to wipe him out. That's good. He, he was listening. Wish he'd been listening the first time. See, maybe he's listening. Maybe he's catching on. So there's acceptance of God's hope. Verse 21, God reconciles Adam and Eve's marital separation. They have separated themselves through guilt and shame and blame. And God has clothed them. He had to kill something. That's going to speak of a blood sacrifice needed later on. They cover themselves and he brings them back together. God does the first marital counseling. He helps them settle that conflict. And he shows that he's still a part of this union. He doesn't ever give up on separated people. He fights. He wants us to be with other humans. He wants us to not live alone. This is not just about marriage, remember. This is about living in community with other people. Even when we're against each other, God can bring us back together. Verse 22 the tree of abundant life is uprooted and burned. No, it's protected. Instead of removing the tree, he removes the problem. I like that. The tree represents his presence. And even though his presence is not now immediately accessible to Adam and Eve, it is there. There's going to be a way to come back. Fast forward, Revelation there is a tree of life still, 
It, it represents the focal point of God being with his people and giving us all that we need. All that we need is in God's presence. This is a blueprint. This is a master plan. The tree of life is protected from imperfect creatures. In verses 23 and 24, write down the word exile. Exile becomes a major, major theme for the rest of human history. Cain is going to experience exile. Noah is going to experience exile living on the ark. Abraham is going to be called out of his homeland, live as a pilgrim and a wanderer and a stranger and an exile in a land that is not his own. All the nation of Israel are going to live as exiles in Egypt. David is going to come into the promised land, but still write about there. there's yet another rest to be found. He understands. He's still living in exile. The whole nation is going to be carried away into exile. In Babylon, Ezra and Nehemiah are going to bring them back out of exile, but then remind them they need to search and seek after God's presence. Otherwise, their hearts will continue to be in exile. Jesus talks about the presence of God. Now, Peter, Paul, the apostles talk about living as strangers, foreigners, pilgrims, aliens in this land. All of us are still exiles until, until we find God's presence. Jesus talks a lot about that. Seek first His kingdom. His righteousness. He knows what your real needs are. Don't be anxious about anything. With prayer and supplication, make your request known to God, but then seek first His presence, His kingdom, His invisible kingdom. Seek first His presence, and the things you really need will be added to you. He will give you what you need. In the beginning, God made everything good. Humanity was in the presence of God, but chose to sin. We can enter back into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, it's really clear. He has made and granted us access to the throne of grace. That is Hebrews' way of saying, you have access to to God, His tree of eternal life again, right now. You, in a maroon-colored pew that is 27 years old, carpet that is 27 years old, in a building that was made by human hands, you have the ability right now to enter into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus. Do it. Every time we sing, it's a chance to enter into His courts with thanksgiving and praise. Every time you give, it's a chance to say, I'm trusting you to meet my needs. Every time there's an opportunity to show up and serve or have fun together, enter into His presence by being with other believers. Find a small group. Find a 930 class. Every time, there's the opening of His Word, and we're reading Scripture together. The back of your mind to be saying, God, show me who you are. Show me who you are. Yes, that's my God. Stop looking for yourself. Stop looking for something else to give you meaning and purpose in life. You'll never find it. 
until you find your rest in His presence. Stop striving so hard. Stop working so hard. And the paradox of all paradoxes, for us to work, multiply, and rule the right way, we need to spend less time work, multiplying, and ruling by spending time with God. And then, when we do get up and work, multiply, and rule, He is with us. We take His presence into everything we do, and that will change your entire life. Stand with me as we pray. God is holy. I'm a sinner. Jesus is my only hope of finding God's presence. Heavenly Father, we come to you as a needy people who make decisions every day without seeking your presence, without seeking your kingdom. Help us learn how to seek you, how to find you, how to sit with you, how to walk with you, how to shop with you, how to go to school with you, how to pray before every meal, pray before every test, pray in every parking spot. Teach us, God, to allow your presence to be in everything that we do so that everything we do can bring you the proper glory and praise and honor that, is, that, that we just owe you. We owe it to you. You've done everything for us. We owe you everything in our lives. So as we sing and as we go our separate ways today, God, our prayer is, give us a greater desire for your presence. It is in your presence that we will find the joy, the peace, the comfort, the healing, and all the grace we need. Don't give us those things without giving us yourself. That's our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head down, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire In darkest 
this night you are close like no other i've known you as a father i've known you as a friend i have lived in the goodness of god and all my life you have All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Your goodness is running after, it's running after me your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I will sing of the goodness of God benediction for today is from Psalm 51 verses 7 through 12 purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean wash me and I shall be whiter than snow make me to hear joy and gladness let the bones which you have broken rejoice hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>